Welcome back for another episode of the Lynx Golf Podcast. This is Al Lunsford, digital editor from Lynx, joined by George Pepper, editor of Lynx. George, how are you this morning? Great. Great to be with you. Excited for this conversation with you. I had the opportunity to talk with my father. I was back over Thanksgiving and decided that I would bring my podcasting equipment home with me and and have a casual conversation with my dad about myself and him growing up in the game and, and how he saw you know me evolve, what it was like to, to raise a golfer and the life, life lessons that are learned uh, over the years on the golf course. I guess that's both a parent and my experience as a, a child growing up in the game. But I'm interested to talk to you, um, kind of the other side of that coin, and you raising your son, who I understand is a pretty good golfer in his own right, mm-hmm. hits it a long way. I think you told me that when we played at Yamens a couple of times. He would be 50 yards past wherever we were hitting it. But um, So yeah, I, I wanted to, to get your thoughts and hopefully have a, a good conversation that you'll enjoy listening back to someday. So what, what are your first earliest memories of your son as he started to pick up the game? Well, we were a member of a club called Sleepy Hollow up in the New York area. And uh, when I guess that the time, it occurred to me the time was about right. In other words, he was about five years old. Uh, I said, Scott, you want to go hit some golf balls? He said, mm, okay. He didn't really know what that meant. And uh, over we went and he had a, his brother, brother, four years older, had had a kind of a sawed off set of clubs. And uh, so we took those in this little tartan bag, tiny little pencil bag for kids. And over we went, and I, I didn't give him any uh, tutelage at all. I just uh, put him on the practice tee next to me and said, all right, have at him. And uh, he gripped with a cross-handed grip and just whacked away and uh, a, a rich variety of uh, results, as you can imagine. Um, but on one or two, he randomly caught it and uh, produced what looked like a kind of a powerful chip shot that rose off the ground by about two feet and carried maybe 20 feet and rolled out. And you could see his eyes light up a bit. Yeah. And uh, I, I maintain that you can tell when you take someone out to play golf, whether they're five years old or 50, whether they're going to love the game. You can, you can get a good idea in that first um, ball hitting session, whether I can remember the first time I went out and played, I hit an eight iron one, finally a good eight iron shot. And I said, wow, that's really cool. Mm -hmm. And that was the moment I was hooked. And I'm not saying that necessarily happened to Scott on that morning, but uh, I saw a glimmer of that. And uh, we've been playing together for uh, 35 years. He's my favorite golf partner. He always will be. And uh, I, I'd like to think that uh, we've grown up in the game together. Yeah. Uh, because just as I've tried to teach him things, as I'm sure your father did you, I've learned some things about being a parent, and uh, I've surely made some mistakes lo- along the way raising him and hopefully repaired them. But uh, it's, it's an interesting relationship. It, it kind of morphs. When dad takes the young kid out, if you have one as young as I did on the golf course, you're kind of the hero. And you hit a drive that he, he sees this ball launch and go off and distance. And I can remember he says, wow. <laughs> and that lasts for a good long time. Uh, but then you become sort of the uh, 
teacher, cheerleader, scoutmaster, and you're trying to teach the kid at least a little bit about how to hit the ball, but also how to behave himself and handle himself as a person as well as a golfer. And after that, as he gets older and bigger, maybe becomes a teenager, he, it becomes a competitive thing. And, right. you know, teenagers typically think they, they know more than their parents. What's the old Mark Twain line? When I was 16, I thought my father was a complete jerk. And by the time I was 21, I was astounded at what the old man had learned. <laughs> that thing. So we went through that stage where, and I think in a way that was the most fun stage when Scott got to be pretty good and I was still okay and he was trying to beat me. And, and then inevitably that happens and a sort of pity sets in from the child to the father whom he's passed. And uh, that goes on for a little while. And now I think we just settled into he's 35 now and uh, I'm, you know, twice that. <laughs> and uh, we're just good friends and golfers and looking forward to playing in a father-son tournament in about two weeks. Yeah. We talked about, and you kind of mentioned it, this idea that life and golf kind of go hand in hand and, and you you don't maybe don't even realize you're learning some really important life lessons on the golf course. Or maybe you don't even realize that you're actually teaching them until later down the road and you you kind of recognize something or maybe your son tells you um, how important or how valuable it was a, right. a lesson learned on the golf course yeah. patience or persistence or anger management or really uh, what's the word I'm looking for politeness I don't know yeah yeah I mean I, I can I, I sort of kicked myself because Scott is was and is as competitive as I am and he got down on himself. If he bogeyed the first three holes, you know, he'd start he'd take, have a bad attitude. Never threw clubs, but he would slam them, and he and he'd start to use language. And I didn't do enough to stop him. And you know, finally, I did sit him down and say, you know, you're just hurting yourself. Number one, to get angry, it's going to make your next shot more difficult. But more to the point, you're not going to make any friends. When you, when you meet someone on the golf course for the first time and play with them after the round, they're going to remember two things, how you played and what sort of a person you were, and emphatically not in that order. Most people, <laughs> there's an old saying, most people, half the people don't care how well you played and the other half wish you'd played worse. <laughs> so, so, and I think about that and... I don't know that it had any effect, but one of the nice things I began to hear from fellow club members who would run into Scott and say, what a wonderful young man. And I said, really? I said, how did he play? He said, well, not as well as I heard he could, but he handled himself well. And I reported that to him after a while. I said, yeah, I've gotten some nice reports about you. He said, Dad, well, you don't understand it. With other people, I'm fine. It's you. You get into my head. Right. <laughs> so there's a lot of that. Yeah. I, I definitely experienced that, you know, as I started to become a little more serious, yet still my dad seemed to have my number out there. That was like chasing the white rabbit. Like, right. when are you going to get to a point where, I mean, even like out driving him on a particular hole is a, it's yeah. an accomplishment of itself when, yeah. when you're growing up. And what you don't feel is the dad side. And, and one thing, there's another great saying, every golf shot makes someone happy. So if you're the opponent, he hits a bad shot. The opponent is least happy. 
that is not true when you're playing with your son. Mm-hmm. When your son hits a poor shot, you suffer too. And uh, but. Yeah, it's just, it's interesting. I can remember, you do feel a little bit of competitiveness. One of the first times I took him out when he was maybe 12 and he'd played for a few years and had gotten a good, we were blessed to have Jim McLean, the great instructor, as our head professional. And so Scott was able to learn with him and Jeff Warren, another of his instructors. He got a great swing from those guys, not from me. And I've always had kind of a controlled lurch. And so I can remember being on the first tee and a couple of members walking by. And uh, Scott takes this lovely languid swing and pounds one out there. And so I said, wow, one of these guys says, that's one acorn who fell a long way from the tree. Oh, God. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I guess you're right. You know, through good at teeth. So there was always that. But, I, you know, I'm so proud of him as well. Yeah, he's, he's a good guy. He plays out of Beth Page now. And he's four handicap and uh, doesn't play that often he plays maybe 30 times a year four handicap at beth page Seems yeah like it's that funny well tough you to maintain he, he can shoot like he plays from the back tees which is 7500 yards because he's a long hitter and he can shoot 83 or 84 there and the differential he gets is like 4.6 because the course you know it's sloped at 155 i think something like that yeah course ratings 76 or something so he doesn't shoot low scores but his handicap doesn't go up because the golf course is so hard yeah that's true yeah what are uh some of your favorite memories over the years between you and your son that well on the golf course or around the game well there's the first one is i think we talked about this in a in an earlier podcast uh, we played in the uh, parent-child tournament, which was this three-hole competition. And teeing off, we knew the score we had to make was 12. It was two par threes and a par four. And uh, it alternate shot. And it came down to the last hole, which was a tiny little 60-yard, 70, maybe 80-yard downhill par three. And for me, it was impossible because it called for a kind of a a flick of a, of, a, of a lob wedge off a tee. The green was the size and, and hardness of a manhole cover, okay? And it was just impossible for me. But for Scott, it was just a nice five iron, you know, at age seven or whatever the heck he was. And so the deal was you each hit a tee shot, and then you see where the balls come to rest. You play each other's ball, and then you select which one is going to be holed out. So I uh, was able to get it somewhere just off the green, and Scott hit a great shot that was just off the back of the green as well. Anyway, we end up with two three-foot putts. Now I have to make the decision who is going to make this putt, which, if we make it, will win the tournament. And I had had a history of the yips, and I'm just thinking, oh, my God, I can't I, I can't do this. <laughs> I can't ask Scott to do it. So I'm debating this. I finally said, all right, do the right thing. Be a man here. I said, okay, Scott, I got this. And I stood over that ball, and I hadn't had the yips for a year, but all of a sudden they came back. I could feel the blood boiling through my arms, and it's going to my head, and I'm thinking, oh, God, this is, this is all. And then I look down at the ball, and, it, and pointing at the ball are two little white sneakers with orange laces, and there is Scott. He is as intent on me making this as I am. And I think, oh, my God. I mean, never in my life have my uh, ability as as a golfer and as a father come to this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. At a crossroads. And, yeah. and happily, I wouldn't be telling a story if I didn't make it. 
And so, you know, he jumps up in my arms and we uh, go back to the clubhouse and you know, half an hour later, he's having a celebratory chocolate sundae and I'm calming my nerves with a double Macallan on the rocks. And I look it over him and he's got, he looks up at me with his chocolate smeared smile and, and I think, boy, golf doesn't get any better than this. Yeah. So that's, that's like the first story. The moment. So yeah. we've won tournaments. We have also finished DFL in tournaments more recently. I might add. The other one I remember it was, um, Scott was about, I guess, I don't know what he was, about 10, 11, maybe, maybe 12. And he had been struggling. His goal for that year was to break 90. And it's September, and we're out on an afternoon, and he's had a good round. He makes, he shoots 43 or 44 in the front nine. And long story short, it comes down to the last hole. And this is a scene like the one in Caddyshack with the priest. It's begun to rain. I mean, it is dark. It is lightning. It is thunder. <laughs> and he has to make five on the last hole to shoot 89. And, and he hits a good drive. Hands get wet, and he skitters a three-wood up the, the fairway. He chunks the third shot. Now he's lying three. He has to get up and down from 40 feet. And he hits this great little wedge to four feet. And now, you know, I wanted to help him read the putt, but I said, just, he's got to do this, this on thing. his own. Yeah. And I mean, it is thundering. And like, it is, he has to hit the putt like a 10-footer because the green is so wet. Yeah. <laughs> and he makes it. And he just jumped into my arms and, you know, great moment, great moment. And the last story I will tell <laughs> is sort of the end of the story where now he's... Uh, you know, bona fide, he's 16, he's out hitting me, and my handicap is still in the six range, I guess, something like that. And now, but his goal is to beat me. And on one uh, round, he thought he had beaten me, and then we realized uh, I put the wrong score in on one hole, and he didn't beat me, and now it's become a cause. And um, it got to be really sort of we'd be ribbing each other. And, and this is 1999. I said, Scott, just to give him some incentive, you will not beat me. You did not beat me today. You will not beat me next week. You will not beat me this month. You will not beat me this year. You will not beat me this century. You will not beat me this millennium. So now the challenge is on. Oh, yeah. And it's end of the summer. And as fortunate as I've been, we were able to go to Hawaii that year for New Year's. And we went out to Kapalua, and the Kapalua tournament was being played the next week. And um, so we are playing literally on the last day of the millennium. And Scott and I tee it up on the, the big course at Kapalua. And he has one of the rounds of his life and shoots 74. Whoa. And he gets me. I had 79. And, uh, yeah, he got me on the last possible day. I, I mean, you couldn't script it any better than that. <laughs> the last day of the century. Of uh, millennium. Everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I like how you set that up. That was good. <laughs> yeah. But that's, I've also enjoyed, may, that may be the, the most enjoyable thing to me now is the ability to compete and and be competitive with my dad and lose to him sometimes because that keeps it interesting with the handicap no straight oh, up he's a pretty oh, good he? player oh wow yeah. that's yeah. great well he he has a magic putter right now that seems to wake up in the moments he needs it the most and it's 
infuriating and exhilarating at the same time. So you guys are both under five handicap. On a given day, Hmm. and especially on our home course, it's kind of handicap kind of out the window there because you've played it so many times. Right. But yeah, yeah, he still gets it out there. He used to play baseball, so he can crank the the baseball swing up when he wants to and and work it. But but I enjoy beating him. Yeah, right. Well, Well, Scott... Still doesn't beat me every time because if he gets it going and I have a good day, he can beat me. But there, there's not, yeah, on nine times out of ten. I'm sure if he, I'm sure if you asked him though, he would also say, "Pretty cool when, yeah, when pops can get me, yeah, every now and then too." So, George, thanks for sharing your thoughts and. You know, my idea of this conversation was that people would be able to relate to it and and think about uh, how special maybe their relationship with their son or daughter is uh, around the game uh, if they have one. Um, if they don't, I encourage you to encourage them to pick up some sticks and and get out there together because it's really one of the the great joys in in my life and mine and and George's as well. If you do have stories to tell, you can always email us at info at linksmagazine.com or reach out to us on social media at Links Magazine. Let us know. We'd love to share with you and those great memories that you have. But thanks again, George. And until next time. My pleasure. Welcome back to the Links Golf Podcast. Uh, this is digital editor Al Lunsford. Again, this time I'm coming to you from my dining room at my childhood home in Burlington, North Carolina. And this is a special, unique episode for me uh, because I'm talking to my father, the man who introduced me to the game of golf, Greg Lunsford, who's sitting across from me. How you doing, Dad? You're doing great. Now, how you doing? <laughs> doing good. <laughs> we, uh, we're here. It's Thanksgiving, so I'm home and I thought... You know, why not bring all the podcast equipment down with me and have a conversation with my dad, who basically is the the reason that I love the game of golf and kind of why I'm doing this now and everything in between. So I wanted to talk to my dad about his background in the game and how he was able to raise a golfer and and see my development the game what that experience was like for him and hopefully the the idea here is that we will talk about some of the lessons learned life lessons from the game of golf that kind of naturally happen and i think most people can relate to uh in their own golf experiences and hopefully that's something that will connect with people who listen to this so dad uh first thing i'll say is I'll go back a little bit. We went to and played the turkey shoot the other day. And as it should happen, myself and brother-in-law, Colin. um, You took it on the chin. That's not necessarily true, but (laughs) we get to our last hole and a shotgun start and we're playing the eighth along uphill par three. And Colin and I have a one stroke advantage on, uh, well, actually we were playing match play. So we had a one hole advantage for the match over my dad and his great friend, Derek Latham. And go ahead, just tell them what yeah. happened. No, it was a, a par three, uh, number eight at Alamance Country Club, a lovely Donald Ross design. And I was some um, 30 feet away and uh, nailed the birdie putt to, uh, to end it. 
in a tie. <laughs> Which is exactly how it should have ended. Great day. He got a PXG putter a while ago and hasn't been the same. It's really not fair what he's doing with that thing. But It's hard um, to miss with that thing. Yeah, it's really frustrating because I thought I had him for a while with the way his putting woes went. And he didn't have a consistent putter for more than a couple of months before he would switch to another one. So he finally found his beauty gunboat PXG and... Things have gotten a little tougher since then. That's a dandy. <laughs> well, Dad, how did you get started in the game of golf? Going back, and we talked before, and, and, and your dad was a big part of your development in the game as well. Yeah, very much. Um, I didn't play golf early on. Uh, we weren't uh, fortunate to ha- have been members of a club or uh, anything like that. Uh, I did grow up playing uh uh, football, uh, baseball, basketball, year-round. So we had plenty of gloves and bats and balls and cleats and tees, but uh, no golf clubs uh, around very much until I was probably 11 or 12. And then Dad uh, wanted to introduce me to the game of golf, and so we began to uh, to go out and play on Saturdays, which I liked very much because it was something that I could do uh, with my father and something that he really, really enjoyed as a as a young boy in Durham, uh, North Carolina. He grew up caddying at uh, a local muni there, Hillendale Golf Club in Durham. And so he was exposed to the game, although he never really got to play it. Uh, he was always carrying uh, a bag or bags for uh, the guys. and But he loved the game very much, and he wanted to introduce me to the game. I guess I was about 11 or 12, and we began to, uh, uh, I got a set of clubs from somewhere. It was a three, five, seven, nine pitch and wedge, a, a driver and a three wood and, and a putter. And uh, I, that was my first set of clubs that were belonged to somebody else before I got them, obviously. But we would go to the local muni and, and just have a ball. So I always, I just remember this. I always found it fascinating that Papa is what I call my granddad. He was a caddy, right? At Hillendale. Yes. And he, what did he make and how did he get to work every day? I remember him. You've told the story before. Well, he'd walk, truly. uh, You hear it. And I walked. It was 10 miles one way and 12 miles back and it was snowing. It wasn't exactly true, but it was a good three miles away and he would walk and one loop would gain him, uh, earn him 35 cents and he'd have to uh, pay the, the caddy master 10 cents. So he'd pocket a quarter and with that he was able to uh, buy a dog and a, and a Coke uh, and have a, a few pennies left over. And then walk three miles back. And walk three miles back, yeah. It's <laughs> a long day. So, okay, so you got your first set and then started really focusing on your game and enjoying the challenge of it, right? Yeah, I, I did. We, we would play and uh, I was uh, always kind of uh, athletically um, gifted not the right word, but uh, athletics came easily to me and picking up a golf club and swinging it and making good solid contact, uh, no trouble. But I didn't really understand shot making or the game itself. And so those days at uh, Shamrock Golf Club here in Burlington uh, were spent learning, learning about, uh, you know, how to play the game. Uh, and probably more importantly, my father wanted to make sure that I learned how to act on a golf course. He was uh, really, really big on etiquette, pace of play. And uh, ultimately, as I began to develop and play, 
he wanted to make sure that my behavior on a golf course was uh, as it should be. And that's one of the underlying things, I think, in the game of golf in terms of lessons or, or natural components to the game is, is an etiquette, how to conduct yourself, how to show good sportsmanship. It's all ingrained in, in the sport of golf, I think, kind of like no other sport to where, you know, for me, it was more than how you react from a bad putt or, or a bad shot and move on to the next one, but complimenting your opponent on their good shots and, well, not always. I guess you can play games that way too, but <laughs> I thought it was good in terms of molding me from youth to adulthood. Yeah, there's a lot of lessons to learn. It's easy to uh, handle the good shots well. Of course, I always wanted you to act like you had done it before and you never want to show up your opponent. But the uh, real learning for me came after I hit the bad shots and the uh, bad behavior that was uh, quick to show itself in the form of uh, disgust and disappointment that I wasn't uh, as good as I wanted to be. It was, uh, that's what you have to learn. You have to learn how to, how to fail and, and uh, you have to learn how to behave when things aren't going your way. And that's something that my father was, uh, it was very, very important to him. He, he spoke when he was a caddy of, of watching the men play. And you can tell which, which of those gentlemen were in fact gentlemen and which kind of showed themselves. I think that's how he said it. And those were folks that uh, you didn't really want to be around. And uh, the game of golf is uh, uh, just a great game. It's a fun game, especially when you're playing it with like-minded people that enjoy the round, enjoy the walk, and uh, and enjoy the, the game of golf and not just be disgusted the whole way around. Going from your youth into playing the game of golf uh, as a young adult and towards adulthood, how did it stick with you and did you get the chance to play much when, as you were starting a career or did it come back at one point later on? Yeah, I, I began to play, uh, but, but not too often. Um, through high school, I played, you know, again, baseball and basketball and football. And by the time college rolled around, I certainly wasn't good enough to play on the college team. And uh, I certainly didn't have the resources to, uh, to go out and pay to play golf. So I really didn't get to begin playing until I landed a job out of college. And uh, I was fortunate that uh, that job was allowed me to get out in a sales career. And I was able to meet people on the golf course and entertain prospective clients. And uh, I began to develop my game then. It's not great now. And it never really has been. But it was always adequate enough to not only enjoy playing, but be competitive, which I liked very much. I was always competitive, always desired to, to win, um, but I always try and get better. And uh, I like uh, playing competitively with friends. It just makes it so much more fun. But uh, golf enabled me to play an awful lot of golf courses through the years and meet an awful lot of people that I otherwise uh, wouldn't have had the opportunity to do so. You always told me how important of a business tool the game of golf can be, and a lot of business gets conducted on in the confines of fairways and greens. Yeah, it really, really does. Um, and it's true, you can tell an awful lot about a person um, by playing uh, 18 holes or nine holes of golf with them. You can kind of get to know them and what they're like and 
Uh, and it's always important to remember that they get to know you too. So you never want to uh, act in a way that you wouldn't be pleased with at the end of the round. And likewise, I enjoyed being around those folks that were fun to play with. It is a great uh, business tool. I, to this day, um, I'm an insurance broker, began my career some 36 years ago, and I met a gentleman on the golf course 36 years ago that I uh, was uh, fortunate that after the round, he in, invited me to uh, get with him and talk business. And from that uh, round, that 18-hole round, I wrote an account, my very first commercial account and uh, that I uh, have today. And it's uh, grown, oh golly, uh, from uh, a very small account to a, uh, a very nice piece of business now that uh, I'm very, very uh, fortunate to have and I owe it all to uh, a round of golf. So you must have played well that day. Do I don't you remember. remember how you I don't remember playing very good, but I do remember we had just a just a heck of a great time. Great. You've also had the opportunity with work and on your own to go and and play a lot of really fantastic golf around the world. Anything stick out in your mind as far as your favorite destinations that you've had the opportunity to go to, and not necessarily with me or not because you've been to some really envious places in my eyes that I hope to get to one day. Yeah, the uh, I guess the uh, two that stand out weren't necessarily work trips. They were buddy trips. Uh, me and the fellas went across the pond to play uh, the old course, Turnberry, uh, and a few of the other uh, courses over there in Scotland. Uh, and that was when I turned 40. Several of us were turning that age about that time, so we felt like that needed doing. And that was just fantastic. To, to be there with uh, with a good group of guys and, and play uh, oh six or seven of their you know wonderful golf courses and then the other trip that uh, we took as a group uh, we went across to the west coast um, and uh, played Bandon Dunes and Bandon Trails and gee whiz Pacific Dunes out there and oh man those were those were just great great to play but you're right i have been fortunate in my work to have had opportunity to go other places i've been uh, to hawaii and played uh, uh grand wailea or the gold course at wailea that you and i played um mm-hmm. not too long ago and so that was just fantastic the golf courses out at scottsdale are just great but you know what the uh we live an hour and 10 minutes from pinehurst and uh, some of the best rounds that I can recall and the most fun were with you down there. Playing number two, uh, walking number two with a caddy, it, it just doesn't get any better than that. Now moving towards when I started playing golf, did you have to put a club in my hands or did I grab one that was laying around? No, that was uh, really the interesting thing about it. I can remember back, and I guess you were probably five years old at a family uh, dinner and uh, you picked up a golf club for I had seen you pick up a golf one of my clubs and swing it and thought you had a really uh, really good swing Um, but uh, you picked up a club and uh, my brother who had not seen you uh, swing a golf club was just absolutely taken back uh, by the effortlessness and the uh, of your golf swing Um, I mean you looked especially from from his standpoint, uh, just to have a wonderful swing. 
Um, and that's as far back as I can remember. I never tried to force golf on you. You picked it up on your own, which uh, delighted me uh, quite a bit. Where did the swing come from? It came from me, son. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's something I hadn't previously thought about. But when you're mimicking, was I mimicking what you were doing or something I saw on TV or... We had been to the tell? driving range. Um, that was one of the f- fun things that we did when when you were small. Um, I'd load you in the car and we'd go to the driving range and they'd have short clubs. Um, and uh, and you were, uh, you, your, your swing was uh, very, very natural and effortless. And uh, it was, it really was uh, kind of fun to watch. What is it like then I, for me, it, I was serious about wanting to get better at the game and would go every summer would do a golf and tennis camp started playing some junior tour stuff and what was it like to see or to to raise a golfer oh, it was great um i can uh recognize in my father i almost always seemed to think that uh he had a certain amount of pride and being able to, you know, take me out and teach me the game and and watch me um, get better uh, and uh, also watch me learn the lessons th- that he wanted me to learn along the way, you know, about uh, composure and how to act on a golf course. Uh, those things were so important, and I wanted you to learn those things. Uh, I was mindful in your development. I never really wanted you to break par. Uh, I really wanted you to learn how to conduct yourself on the golf course. Now, I wanted you, you know, to apply yourself and to get better. And uh, because there's a tremendous amount of enjoyment in um, in getting better, um, it was a great, great sense of accomplishment and pride to be able to play the game of golf and, and in your case, to play it rather well. Uh, but it takes um, an awful lot of, of of time and practice and learning how to play the game. And I wanted to make sure that uh, that was the most important thing to you. The uh, low scores and winning and all that stuff takes care of itself. Uh, but it was important to me, to me that uh, you played the game the right way. Seems easier said than done when you're thinking about how you're going to incorporate all those things you want me to learn about everything that's going on outside of golf within the confines of the game. But at the same time, it becomes more evident over time, I think, as I've matured, I've thought about golf differently. I don't know if that's the same for you. To me, for a little while, it was a hyper-competitive environment that was all about the scoring and, and, and getting better and then getting away from the competitive side of golf changed my viewpoint on it. Yeah, I never, again, didn't play competitive golf, um, but I did play, you know, competitive uh, baseball and the other sports. Um, and so I knew very well about uh, competing and getting better in order to uh, to try and you know, do the best I could and to try to win or help my team win. And in your case, as you got to the point where you were competing, then we did spend some time you know, talking about uh, preparation uh, more than once. I remember saying to you, as the great John Wooden would say, uh, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. And so we spent a lot of time 
working on your game. And in the mornings before school, we would uh, go out to the uh, uh, fairway and I would shag balls for you so that you could find your swing that day. So, you know, there was investment of time and uh, investment of resource to try and uh, give you the best opportunity to be your best. But it uh, it was never more evident than when you got to, you know, playing high school golf and, you know, wanting to be the best you could there. That's actually one of my more, more vivid memories, too, is the sun rising, looking down the 12th hole and seeing you 250 yards away, <laughs> trying to figure out where my shot was going or, or pointing it in, while it's in the air to give you an idea so it wouldn't hit you in the head as it was coming your direction. Well, it was pretty interesting because <laughs> you, were, you were good enough to hit it about where I was standing. And so I, <laughs> I enjoyed that very much. Missiles coming at you <laughs> first thing in the morning. <laughs> it's just been a, uh, a pleasure to experience a lot of uh, different memories that will last a lifetime and a lot of them through the game of golf. I know we're going to have plenty more. Do you, do you uh, have an idea of what you might, where you might like to go next, whether it's with me or not? I always uh, like to play with you. Uh, we haven't been to Bandon Dunes, uh, and I spoke about that. Uh, we haven't been to Whistling Straits. I understand that's a just a fantastic place. I would like to get back uh, to Scotland at some point in time. That would be fantastic. And I understand that the uh, golf and the scenery in Ireland is uh, just fabulous as well. So maybe, maybe we'll have an opportunity to... Uh, to do some of those and those will be great when we do get the chance to do those and then we'll check those off and add whatever's next that's another great thing about golf is that there's always more yeah it sure is and it's, and it's just great well dad i appreciate you uh recording with me today it's been my pleasure i'm uh, <laughs> proud of you and, and glad for the opportunity all right thanks love you love you too